Hey folks, it's your host Julian. This week I sit down with art director for both Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, Mr. Paul Steck. In this episode, we chat how he got into animation and becoming the art director, some of the most incredible talent he's had a chance to work with, and not only Cartoon Network history, but all of animation, and so much more. Before we roll into this episode, I wanted to tell you about this amazing podcast that I absolutely love listening to, Whiskey Lodian. I guarantee you're going to love what Ty and Sean are doing over on their podcast. Each week, they give you a signature cocktail paired with some of your favorite Nicktoons, and they break it down. If you like mine, you're going to love theirs. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, leave us a five-star rating and drop us a review. It helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Mr. Paul Steck. Paul, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. Like, I became a fan very, very quickly. Like we were talking before we started recording here. Like I've been watching, uh, I just think last night, maybe three or four hours. I'm just, yeah. there's so there's so much, there's so much about animation that I don't know mm-hmm. because I was, I was an, an, essentially an outsider who yeah. was like right place, right time guy and got into animation at a very important time as far as I'm concerned. Um, so these stories of people who had been in animation far before me, which was, you know, all the people around me mm-hmm. had like, you know, history. They went to CalArts for uh, for this, uh, you know, years prior um, and worked on some of my most favorite movies like Iron Giant, for instance. Like I didn't, I was not an in the, I was like, I was into animation, but I wasn't, uh, um, interested even thinking about chasing that down for as a career so just a fan of all these stories it's been really fun and i think what you're doing without sounding cheesy at all is super not only super important but super necessary in terms of um how all of us who were there at the time feel Mm -hmm. about these stories being lost because it was like it's 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 history worth gathering so i think it's awesome that you're doing that Cool. Thanks, man. Like I said, I do. I have the, a lot of fun with this, getting to hear what you guys did, because you guys essentially created my childhood. And there's so many people that watch this show that would agree with that. I mean, from we'll talk Dexter's Lab here in just a second. But I mean, just sitting down in front of the TV on world premiere tunes and seeing that first Dexter short, the first Powerpuff Girl shirt, the first Courage, first Cow and Chicken, you know, insert whatever short you want, man. It it, it gave us a it gave us this amazement, this wonderment, this joy as a kid to just be sitting there watching cartoon characters kind of go through the same shit we were going through as kids. And, you know, there wasn't very many shows that really talked to us. A lot of them talked at us or talked down to us. Um, and a lot of those shows that were on Cartoon Network really seemed like they were made by us. And by us, I meant by kids, man. So hats off to you guys for always bringing the funny and always bringing the fun man uh so taking a step back maybe uh let's let the fans know because like i said i loved your message not only did you give us a message for uh for old robert alvarez ladies and gentlemen by the time you listen to this one go ahead and check out robert alvarez's uh return episode is pretty phenomenal uh i hear or i see a little message about uh an outsider on the inside and then you become within i think you said the first year the art director for dexter's laboratory man so break it down how do you go from animating school and then working on one of the biggest shows of all time in dexter's lab it's important to to really understand it and it's we have to we're going to reel back all the way to cal arts absolutely the, the story starts there um and it's a story i think worth telling because um if you've ever heard of a person say, if you've ever heard of a person talk about right place, right time, it was really like, I don't know, this 
very magical moment mm-hmm. for, for all of us to be able to be sort of in the right place at the right time together to, to do what was done. But yes, to go back, I, I, I got I got into CalArts um, at a time when I, mean, I made a list so I didn't forget like the people in animation, which I wasn't in animation incidentally. I went to CalArts as a theater major um, with a, with a, um, a focus on set design. Mm-hmm. So I was there for for that, but I met all of these people during this time, and the some some of those guys were f- from animation. Were like like Clay Morrow, Joe Joe Mosier, Robert Perchetti, who won the Academy Award and every award in the world for Spider Verse, mm-hmm. um, Aaron Springer, Carlos Ramos, Cody Cameron, Jorge. Like these were all the people who were uh, freshmen when I got in, um, and. It was just fun to be around these people because they were some of the most creative, sickest individuals, mm-hmm. all in a positive way yeah. that I could imagine I, I I I could ever come across. And like, um, so be, we all became very close because we would cross over and help each other with projects. Like, so if he, uh, if for instance, Cosmo Sagerson, who's uh, one of the, he's the co-EP on Cuphead mm-hmm. right now. Um, was a filmmaking student there. He would, and he always doing lots of work. And there would there would be people from all kinds of schools just joining in whatever the most vibrant, um, most fun projects were together. So there's a lot of intermixing. So everybody sort of uh, um, found ways to fit into other schools' um, uh, uh, disciplines in very very interesting ways. And I found uh, uh, I was lucky enough to. So I was lucky enough to be able to work on like short films, uh, student, you know, uh, uh, like senior films for 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 uh, like um, Aaron Springer, mm-hmm. and I got a little credit at the end. I don't even know what I did. I think I just maybe cleaned up some drawings for him or something like that. Um, so I, I I didn't do really any animation myself, but I was very much involved in the social aspects of. Uh, you know, CalArts and the kind of things that were going on. Because for me, it was exciting to see the behind the scenes stuff going on. That was always what I was most interested in when I was little. My, my, my father was a visual effects model maker back on Empire Strikes Back and Close Encounters and Star Trek and Popeye the movie. Um, and he was the one he, he, who, you know, obviously the movies themselves were important, but he just as important as the movie as the movies were. He wanted to give me a view into how these were made. So I was always very interested in the, you know, the construction yeah. portion of filmmaking. Um, so we gra- gra- graduate CalArts. Um, I go on to doing visual effects model making myself for Digital Domain, for Titanic and Fifth Element. I this movie that. You know, everyone thought it was very interesting, but no one thought it would become like a science fiction cult classic, uh, yeah. Fifth Element. It was being made at the time, and um, I got to design portions of the movie that, you know, like like the little gas stations that were on the sides of the buildings and mm-hmm. doing a pass on taking Mobius's drawings of taxis and, you know, figuring out how that thing is going to get built and that kind of thing. Um so that was all really, really amazing and fun. Those jobs ended and it was hard. It was sad because, you know, you, you, I was really in, into what I was doing, but then like a feature film ends and then you have to go out and try and find another gig. But at the time, um, 
visual effects was going CGI and all the models were stopping. So everybody was sort of panicking, like there's not going to be another movie that's actually making the models for all the, you know, like on Titanic, the boats and everything. And none of that was stuff with CG. So um, I, I felt sort of lost all of a sudden. I think I thought I sort of found my, my spot. Um, and I was went through another, you know, couple jobs. I worked at Imagineering for a minute and I was getting sort of, uh, um, tired of the cadence of that as well. Like, you know, was, were they going to do any more theme parks? Were they not? And I was playing golf in the meantime with all of, uh, these guys like Clay Morrow and Andy Bialk and, um, Dan Crawl, uh, because I was friends with Clay Morrow. Mm -hmm. So, um, in doing that, learning learn more and more about animation and sort of the stuff that everyone was getting into at Cartoon Network, I became very, very interested in that because it was seemed like it was the ultimate spot of, from, from everything, the way they talked about it is it seemed like it was just a building and all they did inside of it was collaborate. Even yeah. though someone might have a specific discipline like Andy Bialk being, you know, a character designer, it, it was where people people fell into the roles that they were strongest at, but it was never an environment where you weren't invited to just, you almost required to collaborate mm -hmm. completely in the art project of it all. So I really wanted in. So I, I, I asked Dan Crawl, who's the art director on Samurai Jack. Hey, like he was sort of familiar with my work a little bit. And th these were mostly illustrations and that kind of stuff from my times doing design and, uh, you know, live action or in theme parks. Um, but I asked him, I said, Hey, can I get a test? Uh, I think I consulted clay before that for Samurai Jack and kind of the way tests work. If I completely remember it right, was I actually was, um, given, uh, an assignment to do the backgrounds for a, a, a sh an episode of Samurai Jack. Mm -hmm. I think if they would have been good, they would have used them. I would have gotten paid either way, but if not, whatever, it was just a couple of backgrounds. They were trying me out on. They can always like do them, do those themselves. So, um, I was like, yeah, I'll absolutely take, take a test. So I took a test and it turned out to be the blind archers episode Ooh. from Samurai Jack. The first season was the, the show I tested on. And I don't, you know, like I said, I didn't know, I wasn't an animation guy, really. I knew the people, but I didn't really know what it meant. But it seemed like a cool show, and the style was really cool, and I liked the people who I was golfing with. So I did the show stressing out so hard because I wanted to, I wanted the job so bad, and I wanted to do so good. I was just stressing every drawing, and I was like, I come to find out and realize that the people who are really good don't stress about it at all. It's just like yeah. they don't even—they just think it, and it comes out of their hands. It's an amazing thing that I don't necessarily have. So I put my whole heart into this thing, and at the time, my wife, my is that my ex-wife, um, was working um, on Dexter's lab as a coordinator because she went to CalArts with me as well. We knew all the same people, so you know. <sighs> Listen, kids, if you ever want to get into a specific situation, like if you want to work in animation, put your body where the center of animation is coming from. Yes. Yes. You know, that's so we were all it was it was it was a family, essentially. So, she, yeah, she was working as a as a coordinator on Dexter's lab. Um, when I came in with my test uh, to the, the Cartoon Network building, if you know it. Um, 
in Glendale, if not Google Earth it, so you can definitely understand how relatively small the space was that we all were in. Um, so I went over to say hi, and I had my test with me, and I knew Dave Smith, um, who was at that time art directing Dexter's Laboratory. She worked on, my ex-wife worked on Dexter's Lab coordinator, yes. Yeah. So Dave Smith, art director for Dexter's Lab. Um, Clay Morrow was a uh, storyboard artist on the show. So I sort of had, a, you know, a, a, people were interested in what the test looked like. So Dave Smith asked me to show it to him. So I showed it to him. And you have to have Dave Smith on because this will only make sense if he, anybody knows Dave Smith. Dave Smith yelled over the wall, Sharina! We're hiring Paul for backgrounds. And I was like, <laughs> like before, I don't even I said, okay, yes. He just yelled that to her. And he's like, do you want the job? I went, yeah, oh, of course I do. Um, so I got a job on Dexter's lab as I'm going to take my test to Dan. And I took it up to Dan and Dan, thank God, liked it. Cause that's really still to this day. That's the thing that pleases me most. My, one of my, my, some of my best memories amongst them is that I pleased Dan Crawl. Yeah. Like that was everything to me. Um, who you also have to, you have to have Dan on the show, by the way. I've, I've tried. He, uh, he's yeah. seen my messages if anything else. So I don't know some if I can be of any help shy. at all, but I will, I will try. Some of them are, some of them are a little shy and it's okay. So yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so Dan was go Dan goes, I was going to offer you a job, but, uh, you got a job. You just, you, what? You just took a job downstairs. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think that I would, I didn't think that I, I was so scared that I, he was going to, they were even going to use any of them. I was like, I don't know what happened. So that's one, that's one of my regrets. I don't have many regrets, but that's one that I didn't first go to him, but I think it all worked out just fine because mm -hmm. I was now at Cartoon Network with a job as an in-house background artist on Dexter's Laboratory. I wasn't a student of, a of animation. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I had a lot of people around me um, ready to take care of me because they, I had something to offer. So I, I got trained up very, like, like the amount of love I got from people to help me get up to speed was, um, so crazy like yeah, i was i was in 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 school immediately learning all the particulars like this is you know a field guy this is you know like like this is a pegboard this like all this stuff i had that you know this is what we expect and this is the format of like, far far distance and we ask you to break it up you'll give us a drawing of the mountains you'll give us a drawing of the house and maybe the foreground branches or whatever and how to do you know pans and all that kind of stuff like um, taught me on the job um you know, and, they, and then it was cool because Dan was upstairs and I was in-house and then he could freelance me um, Samurai Jack stuff. So it was sort of like everybody, everybody won, especially me. Like, I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. Do you like Nickelodeon? Do you like whiskey or whiskey cocktails? Then you should hang out with us. I'm Ty. I'm Sean. And we run Whiskey Lodian the podcast. Ty, what is this podcast about? It's where we drink whiskey or whiskey cocktails while rewatching the old school Nickelodeon shows we loved growing up. And let's be honest, we go on a lot of tangents. So many tangents. Are we on a tangent right now? Yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh, well we gotta get back. We are covering Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Are You Afraid of the Dark, all the golden greats of Nickelodeon. And these shows give us so much joy. And we want to bring you that same 
enjoy. So find us wherever you get your podcasts at Whiskey Lodia. And I got to cut you off right now because we honestly cannot afford any more ad space. And it really just kind of has to end right. Self into, into situations that are right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Like I would never get my, I'm not comfortable getting myself into a situation I didn't think I could pull off. Yeah. But I like not really knowing. I just, oh. it's, it's fun for me. And it's, yeah. and I, I guess that's, you know, I, I thrive under pressure, which doesn't always, it's not always the best thing, mm-hmm. you know, cause I tend to be not as much anymore. Thank God. But the guy who leaves um, it to the last minute to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> So as I drove production crazy because I always got my stuff done and it was always, you know, as far as I was, it was always good enough. I always felt um, inferior in a lot of ways. Like I really had a lot to work for. I had a lot, I had, I had people around me who were just the best in the world. So I had very, very high hopes and reach yeah. like places to reach in order to be consider myself a good artist. But yeah, I was I would leave my work till the very very end. Um, the the coordinators, the one of them was it was my wife was she had to manage me and like it was like I was I wasn't the best artist on the floor, put it that way. Like I said, I didn't I didn't have that immediate confidence that someone like Paul Rudish has, where he if you've ever talked about talked to him or or heard anybody say. He projects what he's going to draw from his eyes and <laughs> traces it. Like that's how his brain works. And to watch him draw, he'll start over here. He'll go here. He'll go. It's in, it's really really incredible. So I was barely b- barely. I was I was stressed out. I was barely making it happen um, a lot of the time. Um, but it was like one of those sink or swim moments where you, you know, you just had to, I had to learn very fastly how to get on style on a show. Yes. So it became something I got used to doing. So uh, I could, I could, I could reliably be asked by like Greg Miller who did whatever happened to robot Jones mm-hmm. um, to do on that, which is very different. I'll dip pen and very, very different, but because I'm so stressed out about just like not failing anybody, I'm able to sort of get through and, and, and get on style quick. Um, so there was a moment toward the end of the, this is the last season. Is it the last season or second to last season? I don't remember to be honest with you. Yeah. It was the second, I think it was the second to last season. Yes. That's when I was background designer. Second to last season of Dexter's laboratory. Dave Smith is not going to stay as art director anymore. He's going, he got a job. He's going to, he's going over to, DreamWorks to storyboard on the on Shrek 2. Mm-hmm. So he's people are people are kind of people are kind of leaving Cartoon Network um, uh, uh, to go to other studios like to work on features and the and this kind of thing. Um, so I saw an opportunity mostly that came from my seeing how things could maybe improve in terms of how to do production in a way that leaves more control here in Burbank, like Mm -hmm. less reliant on sending stuff overseas and having them do every aspect of the entire seven minutes of a show. Yeah. Um, So I, I basically just told Dave, I go, Hey Dave, if you're leaving, I want to be art director. 
And he was like, you know what? You, because I was a cinematographer for a while. I shot, I shot film, thirty-five millimeter film. I was very, very serious about doing that. But he was like, you have kind of a good range of skills um, to be art director. But the fortunate thing was, and I will say this is fortunate for me, the show was pretty well set. The style of the show was pretty well set. So I just had to um, basically handle which one of these genius artists should do what part of the show. So I would go like gather the ones together that I thought would be perfect for Chris Battle, you mm -hmm. know, gather the characters together that would be perfect for Andy and assign them and get to hand out stuff, you know, like, like for, for an episode to these geniuses. Um, when I realized after the fact, after I was already doing it for a minute, um, how critical it was that I respect the fact that I have the best tools, these people, these artists, mm -hmm. I have the best artists in the industry right now working their hardest in order to make these episodes as good as they could possibly be. Um, it was a very, very humbling moment when, 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 when you realize something as, as big as this. So I was, I, I was very, very inspired. My main motivation during this time was to maximize, was to put as much of the genius work that these people were doing, you know, which in, in, an, in animation, pre-production happens here in Burbank. Production happens in Korea at Rough Draft. And then post-production happens back at Burbank again. So this, the, the artwork that the artists were generating um, would get put in a box, sent overseas, and they would use all of the stuff, this whole package that they that they received as a, as a reference package, essentially. They were they were, um, and I came to found out very like rarely asked at the time to actually use the work, the paintings that say Sumont did under camera mm -hmm. for the background. So they would use it as reference. So I felt like there was so much genius that was being generated here if it was sort of done and tuned in just a way so that when it was sent overseas, it could be used under camera. Um, it became, that, 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 that became my focus on how to sort of optimize that pipeline. Yeah. So one of one of my crowning achievements if if there if there are any animation is i oddly enough um introduced after effects into the television animation pipeline at the time mm -hmm. what that meant was instead of sending this package over there and they would assemble the whole, whole cartoon and send it back again I would we would just make notes that says just animate the characters, give us an alpha channel, and we back here in 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 Burbank would scan the background paintings, take them into editorial, and composite them there ourselves, so we can exactly compose which part of the background we want to use. Yeah, you know, um, so it. it It was, it was, it was essentially as far as I saw it, my duty to just 
maximize with the work that they were doing and put as much of it under camera and on screen as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, I'm not going to go tell Andy Bialk how to design a character. It's not yeah. up to me to do, you know, I'm not going to go tell Fred Gardner how to design a Western town for, uh, you know, uh, for, for one weird episode that we did. These guys were geniuses. So I just got to pass out assignments essentially, which they lovingly took and geniusly executed and brought back to me. And then I, and this is where I, this is where I found value. This is where I know that I thought I could bring value. And that's where I, I did find value as an art director at Cartoon Network because I could, I, I, I'm hinting at sort of, I was not the best drafts person. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like I can do backgrounds. I cannot do things that my, my rule is I can't do things with blood running through them. So no animals, no people, no characters. Um, but I could do cars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what I could really bring is 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 uh, just sort of like the vi- visual effects supervisor portion of what I did, essentially. Um, and so it worked really well. And when we were done with Dexter's Lab, Craig wanted to do what I think at the time, one more season of Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just got done doing the movie. So they sort of wanted the art direction to be sort of more in line with the movie than the pre- previous episodes, just sort of like an, an evolution of the most recent thing done, which yeah. was a lot of hard work put into it. Production design art directed by Mike Moon, you know, Justin Thompson did backgrounds. On the, on the, it was like, you know, big shoes to fill essentially. Mm-hmm. But um, again, because it wasn't so much about developing a new, a new style, uh, which w- wasn't what I was really, those were my, my, my super strengths uh, at the, you know, it wasn't why I was there essentially, but they knew that I could get out of the artists what is necessary in order to d- deliver sort of this feature level look um and you know craig mccracken one day called me up to his office and asked hey do you want to art direct it powerpuff girls and i'm like this is insane but yes of course like i felt <laughs> it's like like background artist never have been in the industry before a year later art director of dexter's laboratory like finding my place in that whole thing and then did it feel real getting, was it no i mean it almost didn't like get Get, having Craig ask me if I would art direct Dexter's Laboratory, I'm sorry, Powerpuff Girls, was like, I, like I really, I really did good by you, didn't I? Like I really, yeah. I, I, it made me feel, felt, feel like I, I achieved something. So, um, uh, yeah, it felt unreal. It felt completely unreal. When you go to get that uh, art director spot for Dexter, does Dave yeah. lean over the wall and say, "Hey"? Paul's getting this art director spot. Is that how you got the uh, the bump up, or how'd that? How'd that no, how'd I think that go? I feel I feel like that was maybe I feel like I was told, and then it was like, now don't say anything, because honestly, and this is where the imposter syndrome for me moment comes into play. Um, it's like. All the artists, not all the artists, a handful of the artists on the show. Andy, I'll say it, Andy Bialk for one was like, "Who the fuck's this guy?" Like, yeah, like I think Andy thought I was going to come in and tell him what to do. Very quickly, we realized that that's not what I was doing. That was not what I was there for. Um, 
but it was that that was it was there was a fear of that sort of getting out of control or being too much so I don't remember how it was said, but I remember there was a little bit of tiptoeing around, like, how are we going to tell people that this new motherfucker is now the art director? Yeah. Well, you know, because, like, rightfully so, the egos are big, and everybody there had a right to have an ego. Mm-hmm. You know? They weren't toxic egos, but they had a right. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. Everybody's got a little swagger. Everybody's got a little ego, especially when you guys are working on, arguably, when you think of, when I think of Mount Rushmore's of cartoon shows, I like if you told me you're Mount Rushmore and I told you mine, I got to imagine Dexter's probably on both of ours at least, at the very least. And then Powerpuff Girls is is up there as well. But if you're building a foundation for a network and you do not include Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, I'd be extremely disappointed. So 100%, I think everybody should have a little swagger and everybody should have a little bit of ego working on those two shows in particular. I mean, what spawned after those two shows, and I'm just talking about Gendy and Craig, what spawned after Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab, Samurai Jack, and then Foster's, and you got Wander, and then you've got uh, fucking Symbionic Titan, you've got a little bit of the Star Wars, you've got Hotel Transylvania, you've got Primal, you've got the Return of Samurai Jack, you've got Kid Cosmic, which, and you're the second person that I've had that's worked in in backgrounds, and since you listened to the the Craig episode not too long ago, um, backgrounds played a huge part in 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 that chat when I had with Craig because. I yeah, I watched it, it over and, the and last I'm, I, I, When you were saying that moment, sorry to interrupt. I, oh, I remember you saying saying that you were almost distracted by the backgrounds because they were so beautiful. In the best possible way, yeah. That's exactly the same thing that happened to me. I stopped watching the show for a second, mm-hmm. and I was like, "These backgrounds are they're incredible." They're, they're I don't, beautiful. I don't think I, I was trying to think like, where have I ever seen anything quite like it before? And I had no reference. Yeah, they're incredible. Well, I'm I'm talking with the uh, the background and I cannot pronounce his last name because it's like T S I R G. It's it's weird, but Paula brought him up, um, and then it was Chris because he I, I believe he just won the Emmy for backgrounds last year for that poor kid Cosmic, so but it's just there's something there's something so beautiful about backgrounds. And I've been trying to figure out like where, so I got to imagine it started with comic books for me um, because I would love looking in the backgrounds. And then you start hearing things about Disney where they would hide stuff in the backgrounds. And then every single movie <laughs> yeah. I watch, that's exactly what Which I'm we did for. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. We all kinds of stuff in the backgrounds. Well, it's with uh, we, like, uh, I got a almost two year old now, Cooper. We've been going through damn near every movie in the catalog, like when he first started, like realizing like what movies were and like, oh, this is more than just, you know, something to just stare at. Uh, You know, it started with Encanto and it started with 101 Dalmatians. He loved it because he loved the dogs. We have three dogs. Um, He loves Encanto because of the songs, the color, just everything is so beautiful and vibrant. And now it's on Lilo and Stitch. So we've been watching. I've watched I watched Lilo and Stitch at least two times a day if i'm home like on the weekends and shit and then throughout yeah. the week it's it's probably eight nine times we've watched lilo and stitch but it wasn't until recently i've seen lilo and stitch so many fucking times before i had cooper right that there's the scene in there where she, uh, where lilo just finds out that if you put stitch's finger on a record and you open his mouth it plays the music and then it, uh-huh. she wakes up nani right so you look behind Nani and what do you see? You see a fucking poster for Mulan. You see the theatrical poster for Mulan behind Nani. And until I just happen to look up after watching this thing for the seventh fucking time that week, I never noticed. I'm like, 
wow. And then you start picking out all the Mickey Mouses that are back there and you start picking out all the other shows. So it's there's something about backgrounds that I find so so I can't even think of the word just beautiful. I guess it, it, it's diminishing word really when you think about it, because what you guys put into the backgrounds, what you guys put into character design in the show and, and entirely, but there's something about backgrounds that I'm drawn to no pun intended um, that I'm absolutely just uh, am, amazed by. Um, and, and I can't agree more, man. I mean, what was it like? What was it about backgrounds? You said you, you, you had a hard time with, you know, people, anything with blood running through them, animals and stuff like that. But what was it about backgrounds that you really connected on? Um, I was, I was very interested in, um, uh, set design. Obviously I went to CalArts for, for set design and theater. I, I, th I wanted to be a production designer, yeah. um, in light, in live action for a moment. Um, and it, it, I mean, the backgrounds is where everything happens and the background is also the first thing the first or let's say last thing that marries the movie to the outside world, mm -hmm. you know, the edges, the way a, a shot's composed is so important for the next scene. Um, the, the, the allure of, of, of a lens change, a wide lens versus a, a, a you know, a long lens, all of these things, like I, it was all my, 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 my it was, my favorite thing to, to yeah. look at when watching a movie or, or whatever else. Um, just the environments that immerse these characters into wherever they are. Like star Wars was a big, a big deal for me. Um, the backgrounds with the, the sets, like the glossy finishes on the floor, the choice to do that, the, you know, like choice to use like um, um, these bold panels of white against red and that kind of stuff was always so interesting to me. Um, and I think I sort of just kind of went all in on that because I did draw all my life, but I was for some reason never really like able to understand and get anatomy, mm -hmm. but I could sketch a house or a car on the wheels and that kind of thing. Um, I think, it, I think the, the, the block on drawing characters or people is really just mostly a mental one, but yeah. I enjoy the backgrounds, um, of, of, I enjoy, enjoy backgrounds in, in, in animation and, um, in live action so much that it's like make, made a lot of sense just to dive straight into that. So, uh, being able to be the creator or the hand that interprets the world into yeah. this one frame on a, uh, um, on an episode of Dexter's laboratory is a very fun thing. And it'll, it allows a lot of room for, for, for devious behavior yeah. at times. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, sneaking whatever it might be in there I, one of my favorite moments of 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 doing that is there was a shot in powerpuff girls of the square the the center part with the fountain of townsville yeah so there were these billboards on these uh, on these tall buildings and on those billboards i put my friend's company stacks a skate company or a, shirt, a printed shirt company that he was doing on every billboard in the background so like illegally advertising for my friend's company <laughs> Is it past the statute of limitations now? Did anybody catch it? I'm sh I'm sure it's passed, and I don't think it was a gigantic secret. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it had no dot coms on it. It was just the logo. But that that that, that was that was pretty fun. That kind of stuff is, is really fun to do. I, I'm sure there were tons of others other moments. Like I've got to look in the background on 
everything, whether it's cartoons, mm-hmm. anime, comic books, whatever I can do. I got to look in the background to see what's in there. So that's that's been my fascination. And like I said, Kid Cosmic definitely peaked it with the backgrounds because there was something so simple but yet so elegant and so masterful but yet so beautiful it really like when you look at something you go this guy or this gal is a master at what they do they can make the simplest thing look what's the person's name who did this stuff uh chris i'll give you um for which one for the for kid cosmic Cosmic yeah i'll pull him up right now because i've like i said i've been talking to him through instagram and i'll give you his last name because i can't i cannot pronounce uh his his uh his last name but it's uh chris and then it's t-s-i-r-g-i-o-t-i-s um you know so he did all the backgrounds for um for kid cosmic i mean his his work his ability his ability to imply just enough yes and and use that like knowing where the character is going to be and knowing Mm -hmm. to dial back the detail just in that spot and then how it gets richer and richer as it goes out yes. and it never actually fully completes itself. It's always implied mm-hmm. is so amazing. It's so mind blowing to watch. Yeah. I really wish I had the words to articulate like what it does. Like it's, it's sensory overload in the best possible way. Cause what I love about backgrounds is like what you were saying, you're entering the world, right? So you're supposed to feel whatever it is is supposed to be going on whether it's this angst coming from these characters um and and one thing i always point to is if you remember 101 dalmatians uh the original right so there's that scene in there where sergeant tibbs the cat has all of the puppies and they're trying to get away from horace and jasper and it's right before pongo and perdita jump through the window to 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 stop everything and there's this scene it is the prettiest scene i have ever seen in a disney movie and it's every frame of that movie every frame is so perfectly composed It's, it's it's a masterpiece, and when you find out that Walt absolutely hated it and it gave Ken Anderson a heart attack. Really? Yeah, you didn't know about <laughs> that? Yes, yes, yes. No. Go, go and Google that. I believe I had Floyd Norman on. Um, sadly, I had a two-hour episode with Floyd Walt Norman. Walt Disney character? Yeah, well, I had, a, I had a two-hour episode with Floyd, and I was only able to release 30 minutes of it because the video got corrupted or it got messed up somehow, sadly. So we only got to talk about 30. I only got to release 30 minutes of the video. That was all that we could salvage from it. But the scene in 101 Dalmatians is Sergeant Tibbs is holding back all of the puppies as um, Horace is starting to come down uh, with the – or Jasper, excuse me, with the crowbar, and the entire background is red, right? So what does that mean? Like for me, what does that mean? That means there is so much anger coming from Jasper. He's about to hit these puppies with the crowbar that all he sees is – like it was very visual, right? So you see these blues. You see these purples which is supposed to – you know, it's supposed to mimic some kind of feeling you're supposed to have with those colors and red rage and anger and all that other shit. It's just a like I pause it every time it comes up and the little kid hates it when it, when it's, when the movie stops playing. He's like, dude, come on. But it's beautiful. So well done. the way the way I like to describe the way that movie works background wise is it mm. manipulates you so perfectly. Yes. You know, like when it transitions from whatever it was to mm-hmm. a color card and just the right color card at the very right moment. Yeah. Um, it's doing what a movie's supposed to do, like pull you into the story, yes. you, like every musical cue. And like, and that's, 
that's that's one of the reasons why backgrounds have always been really interesting to me is like just like being able to compose a shot that lends everything to mm-hmm. what is trying to be conveyed at that very moment. And if it's just a color card or a burst card, um, that's amazing that we you know get to do animation and do very like weird stuff like that. You know, like very illustrative, stripped down of of anything except for the most basic pieces of information yeah. it's so awesome to be able to work work in that kind of a medium storytelling medium absolutely and there's literally no words uttered in that scene it's just you're like you said you're supposed to feel what's going on and you feel scared for the cat and the puppies but you also <laughs> feel the anger because of the color from jasper and horace that are trying to kill these puppies and it, it's just it is a masterclass. I, I hate using that term. I hate using that, but it is a masterclass in animation, that movie in itself. Um, and what's crazy is that's not even my favorite Disney movie. My favorite Disney movie of all time is the jungle book, but I, it's just like that mm-hmm. one seems to be also tied amazing. In. Yeah. It's Different. just the, the animation style for, for 101 Dalmatians, the route they took. I mean, I love, absolutely love everything about that movie from the design to the characters, to the voices. It's just a damn perfect movie. Um, yeah, there were a handful of references that would always come up at Cartoon mm-hmm. Network, and that movie was one of them. Yeah, I gotta yeah, imagine I mean, it's a pretty it's, good it's, one to pull from. It's it's quite a quite a thing. It really is. And whenever whenever we get off here, if you got time, go and check out uh, Ken Anderson Heart Attack uh, because Walt Disney <laughs> he was like, "You fucking ruined me." Um, and I can't remember where I heard that. Uh, it, it's pretty public. It's it's out there. You know, I, I believe he softened his stance on that one, you know, towards the end of his life. He really came around to really like 101 Dalmatians. Um, but I know that uh, it, when it came out, he was like, you financially ruined this type of thing. But it was, I'm not surprised. It was punk rock. It was super yeah. punk rock, you know, like, and you, it should, it should have scared the executives, like. Yeah, it was in a, a very important important piece. It's so so good. Absolutely, man. And uh, getting it back to to you and Dexter here, man. Uh, so we kind of heard the story about how you became, how you broke in. They yelled over a wall and gave you a job, and then you know Dave's leaving, so you become art director, and then you do some stuff at Powerpuff Girls. But uh, keeping it on Dexter for just a little bit here, man. Uh, what are some of your fondest memories? <clears throat> what are some of your fondest memories? Uh, about working from backgrounds to art direct you got a favorite story you got a favorite interaction with somebody what was it, before we get to that what was it like working with gendy did you get to have any kind of interaction with him yeah, get, uh, yeah. cartoon network was a, like like imagine half the size of, of, a, of a of a supermarket mm-hmm. three floors and gendy was just up on the third floor so you mm-hmm. could go to his office and talk to him and it was like everybody collaborated it was like everybody was very interested in whatever what everyone was doing so being able to have access to someone like Gandhi, who is so, so much, so much to share, so much to yeah. learn from, you know, uh, and again, having him appreciate what I was doing, like was, 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 that's all I needed is that, you know, that, that the artists around me felt I was doing right by them because everyone was so good. You couldn't, I, you couldn't help but just try and do your best all the time. So absolutely, you know. Uh, and when I introduced After Effects, and this is one of my one of the really important moments for me with Gendy's when when I introduced After Effects, and he got interested in then starting to use it. Mm-hmm. 
um, and then being able to go into his office and sort of go, yeah, you know, he ask me some technical stuff of how would you lay this up or how would you do this and would you be able to do this in After Effects or whatever? So being able to interact with him um, in that way was super fun. Do you have anything, because uh, I always like asking this whenever you guys get to work with somebody that's influential, like a Craig, like a Gendy, like a Robert, like a Randy. Um, when when you think about that time working on Dexter, uh, is there anything that you took from that show, learning from Gendy or anybody else you worked with that kind of stayed with you your entire career that you would implement in Powerpuff Girls and later in your career with the other projects you would work on? Yeah, watch out for tangents in your yeah. backgrounds. You know, it was I, it, Dan Crawl said that to me when he was critiquing my work. Mm-hmm. When I first turned it in, he would circle tangents and he's like, just don't, you know, watch out for those tangents. And uh, it's something I still use to this day, always thinking about, you know, is the line too close to the other line? Like those, those, those sorts of things. So like the finer, the finer side of composition of elements, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it became such an important thing as a designer to regard that I, it was even one of the f- primary things I passed down to my son, who's at CalArts now for photography is 21. Oh, that's so um, cool. That he uses in his photography. Watch out for the tangents. Well, that's really cool, man. Uh, I, I, I really, there's this, uh, Instagram page I follow. It's called ambient nights and, mm-hmm. uh, the, these photographers go around and I've been obsessed it goes to that whole background. And for the life of me, I can't remember the artist. We actually, I actually talked about it when I had Craig Bartlett, the creator panel on. Um, I can't remember the artist's name, so I apologize. He's he's been passed away for a while now. But he did he did the painting Nighthawks. And there is something magical about diners, that Americana, that old school Americana, that vibe, that 90s, or not 90s, excuse me, that 40s, 50s train card, you know, diner. You know, nighttime, the waitresses, there's something about that. And I found this this uh, uh, Instagram profile just called Ambient Night. So people go around and take photos, uh, obviously, of night. But it's these things that are lit with neons or these things that have like these old school. Imagine the old school Burger King sign or an old school yeah. McDonald's sign. So it's it's like that with the neons, the colors and everything like that. And then it's at dusk. It's past the golden hour. And it's just it's something so, like I said, it's background shit. But it's something so beautiful about that. <clears throat> So I really like when, uh, what, what's your son's name? Maybe we can give him a push out here. Does he got an Instagram profile that we can throw out there? Finn, yeah, it's uh, Finn Steck. Okay. This is Instagram profile. Uh, I don't know if he's going to even want me to say that. He's not really a marketeer. He just <laughs> you know, likes to do good work. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's worth looking at. I, I, Beautiful. I, I'll say that. Beautiful. Well, if, uh, like I said, we can cut that part out if you want me to uh, towards the end. So um, I'll, I'll ask you. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, no worries. So as we start to, to, to wind down here, man, so we're going to have Paul back on for another part and we're going to go back into another part of his career. Um, wrapping, wrapping Dexter up, man. Uh, what was it like? you know, from start to finish, if you could, if you could sum up your, your experience on Dexter, man, one word, one sentence, one paragraph, one phrase, what would it be? Oh, that's a really hard one. One like, hmm. Dexter's was the beginning of maybe the most enjoyable time of my entire life. Mm -hmm. 
So I think the, the only way to really describe in, in one word, if I want to really go all the way with the challenge, would be just incredible. Yeah. Looking. Yeah, it was looking, like a dream. It was like looking, it was like it was like a dream I found myself realized into. Looking back on it now, does it seem like a distant memory? Does it still feel pretty pretty relevant no, in your it life? Feels like it, it was feels like it was maybe five years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah what was what was a hard day like i mean obviously like i said you went from backgrounds to art directing man but uh was everything a learning experience from that did you look at everything as like johnny on the spot man this, this is this is the greatest i i gotta imagine you had some hard days in there but what was uh what was some of the harder days for you man was it just trying to figure out where you where you stood or what was it like the hardest days were when the whole crew had to push super hard because of a, a compromise to the work week, like a holiday, yeah. you know, is coming up and also maybe delivering like two 11s, like twice the work in the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, th those, those were the hardest, hardest moments because we were just um, really pushing super, yeah. super hard. And to be honest, in a lot of ways we were spoiled rotten. Because it was always so much fun there. Yeah. When it stopped, when you when you, you know, had to completely skip playing video games on the U-shaped couch <laughs> and just grind and get the get the shows done. Um, uh, you know, it's the vacation is not quite the same. But uh, I know I think the hardest times are like when people leave, when people yeah. have other jobs and they have to go to those other jobs. Like when Dave Smith left. Because he was so very important to me, but the whole studio felt it. And at the time, people, like I was saying, they were sort of leaving television animation to move on to bigger things. Um, so that was that was the hardest. It's like watching the band slowly disintegrate. Um, but you know, had to happen because we had to make room for uh, the new shows, which are also equally incredible. You know, like Adventure Time and Gravity Falls and all those shows. So, again, like just continuing to do the great work. It was, it was, it's, it was, it's been amazing to see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys walk so they could run, as they, as they like to say, man. You guys had to lay that foundation. Um, it, it's funny you bring up the the uh, couch and the video games. When I had a uh, Chris battle on, and I actually brought it up with Craig as well um yeah because I, I, I can't remember what i think it was mario kart is either mario kart or smash brothers that was going around on the 64 i believe when powerpuff girls you know everybody got behind on it with i believe it was yeah, it was girls. mario kart always mario kart and then i remember i remember the u-shaped shaped couch was a lot of grand theft auto yeah <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of pirates playing grand theft auto i fucking love it man <laughs> i think the other one was uh i think craig had brought up it was zelda as well i believe yep Maybe a link through time or something along those lines, but yeah, uh, that, I was I I hadn't owned a video game console since uh, my Intellivision, you know, mm -hmm. my my Mattel Intellivision. Uh, no, I think I owned a Nintendo at one point, but it had been a, a while until since I owned a video game console, and th that Legends of Zelda video game is I went to buy a cube so I could also play that game with while everybody else was playing that game. Yeah. Yeah, that was the the video game culture at Cartoon Network was you could do a whole two hours on that alone. 
Oh, I can imagine because Andy had talked about it, I believe. I because we we Andy and I have talked a lot offline and then a lot before, as you saw before we hit record. I like to talk to a little bit and then after as well. Um, yeah. and then uh, <clears throat> if there's anything that I absolutely love almost as much as animation or as much as I love animation, it's Mario Kart and uh, 64 Mario Kart is hands down my, even though I love the Nintendo switch Mario Kart, I'm a huge rainbow road fan and they've got every rainbow road map in the new uh, Mario Kart on the switch. Uh, but I always ask this question because like I said, it's always fascinating to see who, who people choose. Who's your racer in Mario Kart 64. Dave Who's Smith. You? What's that? Dave Smith. Dave Smith was your razor. Who'd you use though in Mario Kart? No, I would use um, uh, Mario. I would always try yeah. for Mario. I I mostly watched yeah. when they were doing it there. In but yeah, Mario. Like you have to. I'm I'm Italian, so I I I, I believe it's one. <laughs> Donkey Kong has always been my guy. But here here's the thing. So uh, whenever I use Donkey Kong in any game, so. Uh, Smash Brothers or Mario Kart is to demoralize whoever I'm playing against uh, because I only break them out on special occasions because especially with my oldest one, like we'll play Mario Kart or we'll play Smash Brothers and then I let him pick my character uh, with the exception of Mario Kart because I use Tanuki Mario. So it's the Mario and the little teddy bear suit for Mario 3. Um, that's what I generally use for the Switch version. Um, but uh, we'll play around on 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 Smash Brothers and he'll start talking shit or he'll attempt to talk shit. He's not very good at talking shit. And uh, he's like, man, I'm really kicking, I'm really kicking your butt here, Dad. I'm like, no, you're not. I, you haven't won a game. He's like, nah, I almost won. I was like, no, you didn't. And he'll see, he'll keep bumping his gum. So I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so the very next one, he was like, all right, well, you get to use. I'm like, no, 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 Dad's picking. And he's like, I see his, I see panic come over his face. And then I go straight to Donkey Kong. And I was like, you want me to hit play or you want me to hit A now? Or do you want to just go ahead and quit? And that's usually when he puts the controller down and he just find something else to do because as soon as donkey kong comes out everybody catches oh boy oh boy because i don't talk yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah i do not talk shit when i play video games because it's backfired when i was really young and i was like i'll never do this again i will never talk shit even at, even if i win if somebody else is talking shit then it's just all the more motivation and then i have to go to a whole nother level to prove a point where you're not on the same level i am with this character so that's just like this. That's one character. Like as soon as he sees me pick that in Mario Kart or Smash Brothers, he just puts the controller down and he goes and plays with his Legos or some shit like that, man. <laughs> um, but uh, like I said, this is this has been a real fun chat. We do have some fans questions. And the fans question was me this time because I came up with five that I've actually I've loved using over these last couple of weeks uh, because it's interesting. This kind of responses we get. All right. Mm -hmm. So the first one of these couple that I have down here. So you get to be a fly on the wall. For any created or a cartoon character, anybody in the history of animation, you get to be there for the inception. What character would you love to be a fly on the wall to see created and why? I think Finn from Adventure Time. Yeah. Like where he came from. Mm -hmm. um, creatively, how he was born would be an interesting, an interesting thing to, to see happen. Yeah. Okay, that's a cool one. That's that's. I was not expecting that one. I figured you're gonna go really old school. I was like, man, I wonder who he's gonna pick from here. But to see to see a modern day one, man, I really I really appreciate that, and I like that. All right, so you get five dinner guests, including yourself, dead or alive. What are you cooking? What's the topic? So cooking, and who are you bringing? Yeah, I'm cooking ribeye steak mm -hmm. with you know very simple cast iron ribeye steak, nice big thick ones, mm -hmm. larger than you would think that you could eat once it's placed on the table in front of you. Um, and then maybe noodles with garlic butter mm -hmm. and uh, uh, 
asparagus. Uh, something, something along those lines. And then the people would be David Lynch. <sighs> David Lynch. Storaro, the cinematographer. Da Vinci. <laughs> this is a fucking guest list. <laughs> My dad, who's passed. Oh, edit out this long pause. Oh, it's building suspense. We're talking about that crescendo. Remember what we talked about oh, earlier? We're oh, leading oh. to the crescendo. <laughs> um, um, what's the guy's name who was the Nazi rocket, rocket scientist who oh, came Warner over von here? Oh, Warner Von Braun? Sort of Von Braun, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, what's, what's crazy is I think this is the first time it's ever come up. Uh, you ever read the book Operation Paperclip? No, but I'm all into that shit, though. Oh, it's fucking fascinating because after, ladies and gentlemen, World War II, it's my favorite war to ever read about because I was a Navy guy for a little while. So I absolutely mm -hmm. love naval history, um, even though I did not like my time in the Navy. Uh, I love all that whole era of World War II. I, it's so fascinating. But after yeah. the war ended, um, everybody was scooping up every single Nazi scientist that had anything to do with oh, yes, rocket yes, and propulsions. Uh, the Russians did it. The Chinese did it. The North Koreans did it. The Americans yeah. for sure did it. And splitting the, up all the engineers, all the genius engineers. Yeah. And then we we got one of them here that actually started NASA. And it, I believe, I think I've got the book over here. Like I said, I, I'm, no, it's over here. It's somewhere over here. But yeah, it's called Operation Paperclip. It's a fantastic book. I believe it was Operation Paperclip. I yeah, might have it that was one mixed yeah. up. That yeah. was the, the operation to, yes, to get all the intellectuals that yeah. were left over from the war. Yeah, it's fucking wild. There's another great book. If you like learning, if you like reading about that stuff, um, it's actually a movie as well on Netflix. It's called Operation Mincemeat. You ever heard of this one? No, no, I haven't Mincemeat. seen that. So this one is fucking fascinating. So what they did was, this was before the war really started to turn in, uh, in our favor. And um the, it was a last ditch effort it was one of those things that they threw out there they were just throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick <clears throat> so they go um all right well let's find a cadaver but the cadaver has to be fresh so the body has it's to be scary. fresh the person can't look american which is wild when you think about it it's like all right we got to find a body that does not look american or it has to look american i can't remember which one i get them mixed up all the time and then they're going to dress them in World War II fatigue, so a uniform, right? Everything had to be spot on from the time the person died to like when somebody might find them. It had to be perfect. If it looked like it was too dead or been dead for too long, it would not have worked. And what they did was is they took fake plans on where the army was going to be. They stuck them in his pocket of his so uh, fake of his top secret documents, basically. Yes. And then floated him down a river to where the Nazis. And the Russians might be just by happen chance, they fucking find this body and then they go to where the I don't want to spoil anything for this book or this movie. It's a fantastic book, but they essentially go to where they were supposed to Hitler diverse him to where this was because they found these top secret plans. And it essentially was the turning turning not to turning point because there were so many other turning points. But this was a step in the direction for us to kind of start making a comeback and winning this war two fantastic books about two crazy fucking points in time in life and they all centered around world war ii fantastic books um yeah, 
creator, you get a director. Wait, 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 wait. we have to back up because I didn't say, did I say what the topic would be with all those people? I did oh, not. Nope, yet. nope, nope, nope. What's the topic, yeah. man? Good call. The topic would be. With David Lynch, I got to imagine it's going to be crazy. Yeah, the topic would be what is the future of humanity? Oh, that's a good one. That's a deep one. Who do you think's not going to shut the fuck up at that dinner table? I'm going to say Da Vinci or David Lynch. Everybody will have so much amazing stuff to say. <laughs> and if we can only take what was said and execute it, I think it would be uh, what would result would probably be, yeah, a save the world plan, I would imagine. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And hopefully that uh, hopefully that would be uh, what we need in this this day and age. All right. So the next one is you get a creator, you get a director, you get a writer, you get an animator and you get a voice actor through all time. You could pick anybody. You could take Mel Blanc. You could take Billy West. You could take anybody you wanted. Gendy and JG or vice versa. Pendleton Ward. Who are you taking as all five of those pieces? Who do you so want to start with? The first one was the creator. Yep. You could take a creator. And those could also Aaron's be animators creator. as well. So Aaron Springer would be the creator. Okay. Who's right. next? Uh, you've got a director, animation director. Director would be Robert Alvarez. Oh man, I'm so glad you did it. So you got uh yeah. let's go animator. Animator would be Gandhi Tarakovsky. God damn, this is a huge budget already. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Who's your writer? Derek Bachman. Such a great writer, man. That that dude, that dude right there has done some of the best stuff in the world. And then what was the last one? Voice actor. Who are you taking? Oh, um, Lou Romano. Oh, god damn, fucking Linguini himself, dude. That <laughs> Ratatouille, Ratatouille is one of those movies that I look back on, and it's there's Emerald Lagasse and Emerald Live, and then there is Ratatouille. And there's Anthony Bourdain, right? So <laughs> those three people pushed me into the industry I am now, right? Those those three voices, those three people I hear every time I go into a kitchen, whether it's Emeril, whether it's Lou as fucking Linguini, or whether it's Anthony Bourdain, just him breaking down um, the 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 culture the the food the people just everything about it it was just so something so special about all three of them and like i said all three of those people right there had such a huge push into what i do for a living uh and this dream i've been chasing since i was 12 um so fantastic uh group of guests or group of people you picked right there all right yeah, so that would be that, that would result in in one incredible show Bonus you know, points. What do you? What do? You, what is the show? What's uh, if you had to pitch a show right now with all of those guys? Oh, if I had to, those yeah. people, and I get to give them a yeah. show. What do you, yeah. What would you want to do it on? Let's go something crazy. And this is bonus points now. So if you can't think of anything, we can skip over it. But well, it's it's a show that I was developing with with I was developing it with Clay Morrow, Craig Kelman, mm -hmm. and I have to look. Show, show called Rehumans. Okay which is a show about God decides that he fucked up the last version of human beings. <laughs> I love this already. <laughs> and needs to experiment again, mm -hmm. but the whole planet is taken up by these idiots yeah. that he just God wished never happened, but he's not, not going to go killing a bunch of people. So he just sort of like, Oh, out of frustration, lazily decides to create three human adults who are like the size of 
like ants or sow bugs. Yeah. At the bottom of a planter on a street in New York City. Um, but although they're adults physically, they're babies, so they wake up and have no idea what's like what's going on. So it's it's a movie about I mean, not a movie, but a show about these idiots trying to figure out what the fuck is going on right now. And then they slowly discover like, ooh, breasts or or um like like with all the just imagine if you know babies had the capabilities and needs of adults uh in a, a movie about that. I mean wow. a show about that, that's what the show would be. I want to see this. Have you, uh, when was the last time you tried pitching this? A long time ago, but I, dude, I found a box here. I'm going to just show you. Okay. Of, I just found this recently. My mom actually did. This is all stuff I archived when I left the doors of Cartoon Network years and years and years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's the Bible for that show is in here someplace. Um, I'll find it next time we talk. I'll pull some of these things out and show you. Oh, that'd be so dope. Uh, I, I wish I could find them. You gotta dust that bio off and see if you the can. Craig Kelman drawings of these three characters. When you see them, you will you will die. They're yeah. so incredible. Whatever. Yeah, and Andy Andy said uh, just how influential he was in so much for Cartoon Network back in the day. I believe he said like his designs for Samurai Jack are what really pushed it. I mean it. Came from Gendy's mind, but Craig Kelman just knocked it out of the park. Craig Kelman at one time was doing, he was always in and out of there. So, but he was doing freelance for a big Samurai Jack episode with a mm -hmm. lot of robots and a lot of secondary characters. I don't know, I don't even know the name of it, but he, this model pack that he brought in was like Jesus Christ, an inch thick that he just fucking banged out, I think, in, in a week. And <laughs> It was the most incredible thing, so incredible that everybody around was taking the model pack and Xeroxing it, color Xeroxing themselves copies. Yeah. So I have a copy of this someplace that um, it's just page after page after page after page. And, and he did it, he did it so fast, but we have such expertise um, and, you know, was the character design god and still is, but what at the time was the character design god yeah. um, at Cartoon Network. Um, it was it, it was a crazy thing for me to realize that uh, Craig Kelman was one of the art directors on Dexter's Laboratory, mm -hmm. and I was sort of in this line of <laughs> the most incredible people. I felt I just didn't. It felt so odd. Just I just didn't feel like I deserved to be there. But whatever. Hey man, you fucking crushed it. That door was open. You stuck your foot in there and then you got in there and did what you needed to do, man. Uh, no matter, no matter what you did, dude, you, you, you showed up every day. One thing that I, I don't think is appreciated enough, you know, talent is great. Fucking punctuality is fantastic. But what is the best part? And what I think in my opinion is the secret ingredient of anything successful is a great attitude, a willingness to learn, and a willingness to try shit. And totally. very, very rarely do you get all three of those things. Very rarely do and you that get whole, that whole studio was set up in order to 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 be a petri dish of that. Absolutely, man. You guys were were fucking breeding 
some of the greatest, no, not some of the greatest, the greatest artists, the greatest writers, the greatest animators, the greatest voice actors of all time came in. Like, you can't really see it because I've got you guys sitting high, but I mean, I'm literally wearing fucking Cartoon Network on me. <laughs> I mean, if I've said it so many times, if it would not have been for hanging on Nickelodeon, I don't watch Nickelodeon. I was a cartoon, I am a Cartoon Network guy, kid. Back in the day, through and through, like I bled checkerboard is what I'm getting at, man. So in my opinion, you guys had the greatest lineup of anything when it came to cartoons from start to finish. So hats off to you guys, man. You guys really did a great job. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, man. And uh, like I said, as we start to wind down here, man, I've had a lot of fun. I can't wait to do this again. Uh, when we get off here, I'll, we'll see what your schedule is looking like. We'll set you up for a part two. Um, cool. that way that way we'll have both and then we can just drop these in april um and then uh if folks want to go and say hey paul i like that thing you did man whether it's dexter's powerpuff girls what have you where can people find you on the old social medias um they can go to paulo p-a-u-l-o underscore mm-hmm. balzano b-a-l-z-a-n-o mm-hmm. that's on instagram beautiful um and yeah uh, that's my, that's my knife making pseudonym. We can talk about that the, the next time we, 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 we speak. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, he's been Paul. I've been Julian. It's been a what's my head podcast. And this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thank you.